Part five of a journal of impressions in Belgium by May Sinclair. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Part five. Several hundred more refugees have come into the palais since the afternoon. They have had to pack them a little closer in the straw. Eight thousand were fed this evening in the inner hall. In the crush, I get separated from Monsieur P and from the corps. I see some of them in the distance, the commandant and Ursula Dearmer and Mrs. Lambert and Monsieur P. I do not feel as if I belong to them any more. I belong so much to the stunned sleepers in the straw who cannot feel. Nice Dr. Wilson comes across to me, and we go round together looking at the sleepers. He says that nothing he has seen of the war has moved him so much as this sight. He wishes that the Kaiser could be brought here to see what he has done and I find myself clenching my hands tight till it hurts, not to suppress my feelings, for I feel nothing, but because I am afraid that kind Dr. Wilson is going to talk. At the same time, I would rather he didn't leave me just yet. There is a sort of comfort and protection in being with somebody who isn't callous, who can really feel. But Dr. Wilson isn't very fluent, and presently he leaves off talking too. Near the door we passed the family with a little yellow-brown dog. All day the little dog slept in their place, and now that they are trying to sleep he will not let them. The little dog is wide awake and walking all over them, and when you think what it must have cost to bring him, c'est triste, n'est-ce pas? As we left the gardens, Monsieur P. gathered two ghostly roses, the laugh left on their tree, and gave one to Mrs. Lambert and one to me. I felt something rather like a pang then, heaven knows why for such a little thing conference in our mess-room monsieur blank the belgian red cross guide who goes out with our ambulances is there he is very serious and important the commandant calls us to come and hear what he has to say it seems it had been arranged that one of our cars should be sent to-morrow morning to termonde to bring back refugees but monsieur blank does not think that car will ever start he says that the Germans are now within a few miles of Ghent, and may be expected to occupy it tomorrow morning, and that instead of going to Termond tomorrow, we had very much better pack up and retreat to Bruges tonight. There are ten thousand Germans ready to march into Ghent. Monsieur Blank is weighed down by the thought of his ten thousand Germans, but the commandant is not weighed down a bit. On the contrary, a pleasant exaltation comes upon him it comes upon the whole corps it comes even upon me we refuse to believe in his ten thousand germans monsieur blank himself cannot swear to them we refuse to pack up we refuse to retreat to bruges to-night time enough for agitation in the morning we prefer to go to bed monsieur blank shrugs his shoulders as much as to say that he has done his duty and if we are all murdered in our beds it isn't his fault does Monsieur Blank really believe in the advance of the ten thousand? His face is inscrutable. Tuesday, twenty-ninth. No Germans in Ghent. No Germans reported near Ghent. Madame F. and her daughter smile at the idea of the Germans coming into Ghent. They will never come, and if they do, they will only take a little food and go out again. They will never do any harm to Ghent. Namur and Liège and Brussels, if you like, in Malines and Louvain and Tremont and Antwerp, perhaps. But Ghent? Why should they? It is Antwerp they are making for, not Ghent. And Madame represents the mind of the average Gantois. 
it is placid incredulous stolidly at ease superbly inhospitable to disagreeable ideas nogantois can conceive that what has been done to the citizens of termonde would be done to him c'est triste what has been done to the citizens of termonde but it doesn't shake his belief in the immunity of ghent which makes m s behaviour all the more mysterious why did he try to scare us so five theories are tenable one m did honestly believe that ten thousand germans would come in the morning and take our ambulance prisoner that is to say he believed what nobody else believed number two m was scared himself he had no desire to be taken quite so near the firing line as the english ambulance seemed likely to take him so that the departure of the english ambulance would not be wholly disagreeable to m this theory is too far-fetched number three m was the agent of the military power commissioned to test the nerve of the english ambulance stood fire have they hm give em a real scare and see how they behave number four m is a psychologist and made this little experiment on the english ambulance himself number five he is a humorist and was simply pulling its leg the last three theories are plausible but all five collapse before the inscrutability of monsieur's face germans or no germans one ambulance car started at five in the morning for quatrette somewhere between ghent and brussels to fetch wounded and refugees the other went later to zale i am not very clear as to who has gone with them but mrs torrance mrs lambert janet mcneil and dr haynes and mr riley have been left behind it is their third day of inactivity and three months of it could not have devastated them more they have touched the very bottom of suicidal gloom three months hence their state of mind will no doubt appear in all its absurdity but at the moment it is too piteous for words when you think what they were yesterday and the day before there is no language to express the crescendo of their despair i came upon mr riley this morning standing by the window of the mess-room and contemplating the facade of the railway station it is making a pattern on our brains i tried to soothe him i said it was hard lines beastly hard lines and told him to cheer up there'd be heaps for him to do presently and he turned from me like a man who has just buried his first-born janet mcneil is even more heart-rending sunk in a chair with her hands stuck into the immense pockets of her overcoat her flawless and impassive face tilted forward as her head droops forlornly to her breast she is such a child that she can see nothing beyond to-day and yesterday and the day before that she is going back to-morrow her valour and energy are frustrated and she is wounded in her honour she is conscious of the rottenness of putting on a khaki tunic and winding khaki puttees round and round her legs to hang about the hospital doing nothing and she had to sell her motor-bicycle in order to come out not that that matters in the least what matters is that we are here eating belgian food and quartered in a belgian military hospital and swanking about with belgian red cross brassards stamped on our sleeves and doing nothing for the belgians doing nothing for anybody we are not justifying our existence we are frauds i tell the poor child that she cannot possibly feel as big a fraud as i do that there was no earthly reason why i should have come and none whatever why i should remain and then to my amazement i learn that i am envied it's all right for me my job is clearly defined and nobody can take it from me 
I haven't got to wind khaki puttees round my legs for nothing. I should have thought that the child was making jokes at my expense, but for the extreme purity and candor of her gaze. Incredible that there should exist an abasement profounder than my own. I have hidden my tunic and breeches in my hold-all. I dare not own to having brought them. Down in the vestibule I encounter Mrs. Torrance in khaki, Mrs. Torrance yearning for her wounded, Mrs. Torrance determined to get to her wounded at any cost. She is not abased or dejected, but exalted, rather. She is ready to go to the president, or to the military power itself, and demand her wounded from them. Her beautiful eyes demanded them from heaven itself. I cannot say there are not enough wounded to go round, but I point out for the fifteenth time that the trouble is there are not enough ambulance cars to go round. But it is no use. It does not explain why heaven should have chosen Ursula Dearmer and caused shells to bound in her direction and have rejected Mrs. Torrance. The military power that should have ordered these things has abandoned us to the caprice of heaven. Of course, if Mrs. Torrance was a saint, she would fold her hands and bow her superb little head before the decrees of heaven. But she is only a mortal woman, born with the genius of succor and trained to the last point of efficiency, so she rages. The tigress, robbed of her young, is not more furiously inconsolable than Mrs. Torrance. It is not Ursula Dearmer's fault. She is innocent of supplanting Mrs. Torrance. The thing simply happened. More docile than determined, unhurrying and uneager, and only half awake, she seems to have rolled into car number one with heaven's impetus behind her. Like the shell at a lost, it is her luck and on the rest of us our futility and frustration weigh like lead. The good Belgian food has become bitter in our mouths. When we took our miserable walk through Ghent this morning, we felt that the English ambulance must be a mark for public hatred and derision because of us. I declare I hardly dare go into the shops with the Red Cross brassard on my arm. I imagine sardonic raillery in the eyes of every Belgian that I meet. We do not think the authorities will stand it much longer, they will fire us out of the hôpital militaire number two. But no, the authorities do not fire us out. Impassive in wisdom and foreknowledge, they smile benignly on our agitation. They compliment the English ambulance on the work it has done already. They convey the impression that but for the English ambulance, the Belgian army would be in a bad way. Mademoiselle F. insists that the hospital will soon be overflowing with the wounded from Antwerp and that she can find work even for me. It is untrue that there are three hundred nurses in the hospital. There are only three hundred nurses in all Belgium. They pile it on so that we are more depressed than ever. Janet McNeil is convinced that they think we are no good, and that they are just being angels to us because they are sorry for us. I break it to them very gently that I volunteered to serve at the tables at the Palais de Fête. I feel as if I had sneaked into a remunerative job while my comrades are starving. The commandant is not quite as pleased as I thought he would be to hear of my engagement at the Palais de Fête. He says, it is not your work. I insist that my work is to do anything I can do, and that if I cannot dress wounds, I can at least hand round bread and pour out coffee and wash up dishes. It is true that I am secretary and reporter, and for the time being, treasurer to the ambulance, and that I carry its funds in a leather purse belt round my body. Because I am the smallest and weakest member of the corps, that is the most unlikely place for the funds to be. It was imprudent, to say the least of it, 
for the chaplain in his khaki to carry them as he did into the firing line the belt which fitted the chaplain hangs about half a yard below my waist and is extremely uncomfortable but that is neither here nor there keeping the corps accounts only takes two hours and a half even with belgian and english money mixed and when i've added the same column of figure ten times up and ten times down to make certain it's all right i am no good at accounts but i know my weakness and guard against it giving the corps the benefit of every doubt and making good every deficit out of my private purse writing the day-book perhaps half an hour the commandant's correspondence when he has any and reporting to the british red cross society when there is anything to report another half hour at the outside and there you have only three and a half hours employed out of the twenty-four even if i balance my accounts every day and i don't true that the daily chronicle promised to take any articles that i might send them from the front but i haven't written any you cannot write articles for the daily chronicle out of nothing at least i can't the commandant finally yields to argument and entreaty i do not tell him that what i really want to do is to go out with the field ambulance and get beyond the turn of that road i know i haven't the ghost of a chance i know that if i had as things stand at present not being a surgeon or a trained nurse i wouldn't take it even to get there and at the same time i know with a superior certainty that this unlikely thing will happen this sense of certainty is not at all uncommon but it is or seems unintelligible you can only conceive it as a premonition of some unavoidable event it is as if something had been looking for you waiting for you from all eternity out here something that you have been looking for and when you are getting near it begins calling to you it draws your heart out to it all day long you can give no account of it all that you know about it is that it is unique it has nothing to do with your ordinary curiosities and interests and loves nothing to do with the thirst for experience or for adventure or for glory or for the thrill you can't get anything out of it it is something hidden and secret and supremely urgent its urgency indeed is so great that if you miss it you will have missed reality itself for me this uncanny anticipation is somehow connected with the turn of the southeast road i do not see how i am ever to get there or anywhere near there but i am not uneasy or impatient any more there is no hurry the thing whatever it is will be irresistible and if i don't go out to find it it will find me mrs torrance has gone heaven knows where she has not been with the others at the palais de fete janet mcneil and mrs lambert have been working there for five hours serving meals to the refugees ursula dearmer with extreme docility has been working all the afternoon with the nurses it looks as if we were beginning to settle down mrs torrance has come back the red german pom-pom has gone from her cap and she wears the badge of the belgian motorcyclist corps black wings on a white ground providence has rehabilitated himself he has abased our trained nurse and expert motorist in order to exalt her he fairly flung her in the path of the colonel of i think the belgian motorcyclist corps at a moment when the colonel found himself in a jibbing motor-car without a chauffeur we gathered that the colonel was becoming hectic with blasphemy when she appeared and settled the little difficulty between him and his car she seems to have followed it up by driving him then and there straight up to the firing line to look for wounded end of the adventure she volunteered her services as chauffeur to the colonel and was accepted
the commandant has received the news with imperturbable optimism as for her she is appeased she will realize her valorous dream of the greatest possible danger and she will get to her wounded the others have come back too they have toiled for five hours among the refugees five thirty it is my turn now at the palais de fete it took ages to get in the dining hall is narrower than the sleeping hall but it extends beyond it on one side where there is a large door opening on the garden but this door is closed to the public you can only reach the dining hall by going through the straw among the sleepers and at this point the commandant's optimism has broken down he won't let you go in through the straw and the clerk who controls the entry won't let you go in through the other door you explain to the clerk that the english ambulance being quartered in a military hospital its rules are inviolable it is not allowed to expose itself to the horrors of the straw the clerk is not interested in the english ambulance he is not impressed by the fact that it has volunteered its priceless services to the refugee committee and he is contemptuous of the orders of its commandant his business is to see that you go into the palais through his door and not through any other door and when you tell him that if he will not withdraw his regulations the ambulance will be compelled to withdraw its services he replies with delicious sarcasm nous n'avons pas prévu ça in the end you are referred to the secretary in his bureau he grasps the situation and is urbanity itself provided with a special permit bearing his sacred signature you are admitted by the other door your passage to the vestiaire takes you through the infant's room and along the galleries past the wards the crowd of refugees is so great that beds have been put up in the galleries you take off your outer garments and put on the belgian red cross uniform you have realized by this time that your charming white overall and veil are sanitary precautions coming down the wide wooden stairways you have a full view of the inner hall this enormous oblong space below the galleries is the heart the fervid central foyer of the palais de fête at either end of it is an immense auditorium tier above tier of seats rising towards the gallery floors all down each side of it standards with triumphal devices are tilted from the balustrade banners hang from the rafters and under them down the whole length of the hall from auditorium to auditorium the tables are set out bare wooden tables one after another more tables than you can count from the door of the sleeping hall to each auditorium and from each auditorium down the line of the tables a gangway is roped off for the passage of the refugees they say there are ten thousand five hundred here to-night beyond the rope line along the inner hall more straw has been laid down to bed the overflow from the outer hall they come on in relays to be fed they are marshalled first into the seats of each auditorium where they sit like the spectators of some monstrous festival and wait for their turn at the tables this the long procession of people streaming in without haste in perfect order and submission is heart-rending if you like the immensity of the crowd no longer overpowers you the barriers make it a steady procession a credible spectacle you can take it in it is the thin end of the wedge in your heart they come on so slowly that you can count them as they come they have sorted themselves out the fathers and the mothers are together they lead their little children by the hand or push them gently before them there is no anticipation in their eyes no eagerness and no impatience in their bearing they do not hustle each other or scramble for their places 
it is their silence and submission that you cannot stand for you have a moment of dreadful inactivity after the setting of the tables for the first service you have filled your bowls with black coffee somebody else has laid the slices of white bread on the bare tables you have nothing to do but stand still and see them file into the banquet on the banners and standards from the roof and balustrades the lion of flanders ramps over their heads and somewhere in the back of your brain a song sings itself to a tune that something in your head wakes up ils ne vont pas dompter le vieux lion de flandre tant que le lion a des dents tant que le lion peut griffer it is the song the belgian soldiers sang as they marched to battle in the first week of august it is only the end of september now and somebody standing beside you says c'est triste n'est-ce pas you cannot look any more end of part five recording by expatriate in bangor maine